the door is popped open. Good afternoon. I'd like to call this meeting of the Sacramento Law and Legislation Committee to order. Will the clerk please call the roll to establish a quorum? Thank you. Councilmember Kaplan? Here. Councilmember Jennings? Here. Councilmember Guerra? Here. And Chair Valenzuela? Here. Um, I will ask the Vice Chair if you would lead us in the land acknowledgement and Pledge of Allegiance, please. Everyone, please stand. The opening acknowledgments in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands to the original people of this land, the Nisian people, the Southern Maidu people, the Valley and Plains, Miwok, Patton and Witten peoples, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe, may we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contribution, and lives. Join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. Salute. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all thank you vice chair all right excited to have a full room today to talk about exciting things um, if you are here today to provide public comment i want to make sure that you fill out a speaker slip if you don't already have one they are in the back of the room and up here with the clerk please turn them into the clerk before the item begins its public comment we will cut off new public comment signups after the first public commenter is done and if you are on zoom you can use the raise hand feature to also put yourself in the queue and we will take your comments after we take the comments from those folks in the room. Um, so today we will start quickly by dispensing with our consent calendar. We have two items on this calendar. Do I have any questions or comments from the committee? Can I hear a motion? Motion. Oh, any public comment. Thank you. Chair, I have no comments on this item. Well, thank second. you. Second. Thank you. Motion by the vice chair, second by Councilmember Kaplan. All in favor, please say aye. Aye. Opposed? Abstentions? That passes unanimously. All right. We are moving right along to item number three, consideration for adopting an ordinance relating to health care worker minimum wage in the city of Sacramento. I believe that our staff here, Consuelo Hernandez, is nope, is the <laughs> presenter for this item or somebody else. That's okay, too. Um, Consuelo? All right. Um, this item was uh, presented as a request from um, the chair, council member Valenzuela, uh, and we are requesting um, direction to staff on whether to uh, consider a health care worker minimum wage ordinance in the city of Sacramento. Um, and there's, out, there's background um, provided in the staff report itself. There have been um, cities in California that have passed either through a vote of the governing body 
or um, have pending ballot measures uh, that would increase the uh, health care worker minimum wage. Uh, the goal is to get it to $25 per hour. Uh, the, uh, it is noteworthy that there is legislation pending before the state legislature at this time. Um, it's Senate Bill 525, um, which would increase... Um, as of June 1st, 2024, the health care minimum wage to $25 per hour. There's a, an additional step prior to that to increase it to $21 per hour. That is still going through the legislative process. Um, so it is still a live bill. Um, and I think that's it in terms of background. Awesome. Thank you, Consuelo. I think before we go to any committee comments, we will go to the members of the public who signed up to provide testimony. Madam Clerk. Thank you, Chair. I have 23 speakers in chambers, and it looks like a few hands online. I'm going to read off a few, and if you want to line up in the middle, I'd appreciate it. Sarah Costa, Michelle Willard, Sonia um, Pellerin, and then Brian Jensen. Will I have a time or anything? Please proceed. City Council and staff, my name is Sarah Costa and I work for Sutter Health and Government Affairs. I'm here today regarding discussion item three. This proposal seriously jeopardizes vital health services, increases health costs, deepens health care inequities, and creates disparate treatment of workers throughout Sacramento. At a time when healthcare workers are struggling just to preserve the level of services that Sacramentans need and deserve, this proposal would insert a massive unexpected increase in the cost of delivering care. But the effect that this would have on our federally qualified health centers, our FQHCs that provide care to our most vulnerable community members, is truly detrimental. It is estimated that a $25 minimum wage would require a 28% increase for WellSpace Health, one of our leading FQHCs in this, depart in this community, totaling to over $23 million per year for at least three to five years. Even with the significant support that they receive from local healthcare system partners, this organization would have to consider catastrophic cuts to their workforce or the elimination of all but a few of their healthcare programs. It is simply unsustainable. This minimum wage proposal could completely de deconstruct our healthcare system and our ecosystem within the Sacramento region. Not to mention, this does not only affect healthcare workers. Consider the effect that this will have on small businesses just trying to keep their doors open, but now have to compete with a neighboring business offering $25 an hour. We urge the city council to take inventory of both the economic and community health impact that this proposal would mean. While the concept is well-intentioned, the unintended consequences are catastrophic and will negatively impact our Sacramento region. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Michelle Willard. Good afternoon, Chair Valenzuela, Sacramento City Council members, Rick Jennings, Lisa Kaplan, and Eric Guerra. My name is Michelle Willard, and on behalf of the Greater Sacramento Economic Council, I am here today to oppose a $25 per hour minimum wage for healthcare workers in the city of Sacramento. At this juncture, healthcare organizations are already struggling out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Many of them serve on our board of directors. This initiative raises costs to healthcare organizations by almost $50 million. It will distort the labor market across all sectors, not just healthcare, making the scramble for workforce even more difficult. 
It will, uh, smaller healthcare organizations are the least capable of absorbing these cost increases, which could lead to some services closing altogether, which we don't want here in the city of Sacramento. Bottom line, this negatively impacts the access to affordable health care. For these reasons and many more, we strongly oppose this minimum wage proposal. Thank you for your time and consideration and appreciate your leadership on uh, the Law and Legislative Committee. Thank you for your comments. Sonia Pellerin. Greetings, City Councilman of Sacramento. My name is Sonia Pellerin. I am an optician who actually work at Kaiser Permanente in South Sacramento, where I've worked there for 27 and a half years. I'm here to express my support for passing the health care minimum wage in Sacramento, California. I want you to know that there are workers in my facility who are struggling to get by. I recently met a co-worker who is making less than $25 an hour, facing a crisis in her living situation, unable to find housing that she can afford in Sacramento County. I have a co-worker right now who is living in her car and spending the nights in, their, in the car in the parking lot structure. I, it doesn't sit very well with me. Let me say it again. I have a co-worker is currently homeless and is sleeping in her car in the parking structure. As healthcare workers have suffered and sacrificed through COVID-19, a lot of the people sh left other jobs to pay better in, in the less risk of less stress. Short staffing is affecting us today. The pandemic has left us short staffing. Short staffing is now our pandemic. It makes me sad also to see that when I know Kaiser CEOs, and including Sutter, who's making more than over $15 million a year, and many of our executives are getting paid $1 million a year. Healthcare workers deserve to make enough to live a decent life with their families. I stand in support of healthcare worker minimum wage, and I hope that you do soon. Thank you. Speaker is Brian Jensen. Following Brian Jensen is Precious Gordine, then Merrill Vong, then Lynette Griffin. Good afternoon, Madam Chair, members of the committee. My name is Brian Jensen. I am Regional Vice President with the Hospital Council of Northern California. And uh, we are supporting, you know, everyone supports ensuring that healthcare workers receive fair compensation. The good news is that it's happening. The reality is that healthcare wages are among the highest of any economic segment, and they are often accompanied with very generous benefits. These things are normally uh, resolved through collective bargaining in the hospital setting, not through local government mandates. You must ensure that healthcare services remain financially viable. As the saying goes, no margin, no mission. And I'm afraid that this ordinance would threaten the mission. This mandate would cost Sacramento hospitals $47 million a year. Now, that may not be enough to close a hospital, but maybe it's enough to close certain programs. Maybe it forestalls the construction of new expansions. Maybe it puts an end to certain community sponsorships. The reality is that there would be some kind of trade-offs involved with this. The greater concern, though, is that this ordinance very well could put an end to certain smaller healthcare organizations, the ones that are responsible for treating the very most vulnerable members of our society. Medi-Cal reimbursement rates are abominable. It takes months, if not years, to receive reimbursement for care. Sacramento hospitals cannot afford for any of our partners, be they skilled nursing facilities, dental offices, community clinics, outpatient mental health facilities, to be driven out of business through this ordinance. Our community cannot afford to lose these services. Therefore, our community cannot afford this ordinance. It would harm health care access, affordability, and equity. 
before moving forward on this in any way, we urge the city to take an in-depth economic and healthcare analysis before making any further decisions. Thank, Thank you, you for your comments. Next speaker is Precious Gordine. Good afternoon, council members. Um, my name is Precious Gordine. I am a healthcare worker. I work for Dignity Health slash Common Spirit, which is a very lucrative hospital organization. And I've heard all the other speakers talk about the insurance and what have you. But as a healthcare worker, I have been working at this for 11 years. I resign in Sacramento. I serve my community. I even serve the homeless people who are now laying on the curb right outside my car. The fact of the matter is, is that going through COVID, it has shows that we are in a huge financial deficit. To go walking in a grocery store to purchase groceries, I have to choose whether I'm gonna pay a bill or buy eggs for my child. Now, it is a mutual responsibility for my government as well as my employer, including the councilmen that are here, to take in consideration that us healthcare, we are doing a job to the community by helping them out. How are we to sustain in our position to help the community when we financially cannot sustain ourselves? The truth of the matter is, we are struggling in the healthcare field. Some of us have worked through the COVID, have literally lost our lives. A lot of our fellow coworkers have lost their lives, and our employer did not care about this. All they cared about was the dollar amount that they were making for their organization. We are here today to take a stand for ourselves. We are asking for your help to listen to us, to understand our circumstances of what we are trying to do. We're not asking for anything more than to than to sustain. And the $25 minimum wage increase would do us just a beginning step in getting the financial needs that we need to sustain. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Meryl Vong. Hi, my name is Meryl Vong. Thank you, city council members. I live in the Sacramento area and I've been a healthcare worker for 17 years. I work in the emergency department at Mercy Hospital of Folsom. I'm here to express my support for passing the healthcare workers minimum wage as an ordinance. We healthcare workers have put our lives at risk during the pandemic and we were called heroes by our organizations, but many of our employers didn't provide the protection and support that we desperately needed. So we looked to our government to help us and you guys helped us pass quite a few things. Um, we are committed to our patients through the worst of it but as inflation is hitting and as rent is going up, gas prices, too many of us couldn't get by and we still can't get by. Many of us took second jobs, third jobs, and some of us are just exhausted at work. Now many healthcare workers have left the companies to go get better paying jobs and some of them have even left the industry altogether. With the new people that are coming onto the healthcare industry are quickly seeing what's happening and they don't want to stay. They leave. They're stressed out. They don't want to deal with it. So all the stress is left on those of us who stay behind. Um, raising the minimum wage is a concrete step toward addressing the staffing shortages that are getting worse year by year. It's about keeping the current workers on the job and attracting new workers. But in the end, it really is about our patients. It's about making sure that we have this uh, necessary staff to provide quality care for everyone who needs it. And this is why I urge you guys to please help support the healthcare workers minimum wage to retain and recognize healthcare workers in the Sacramento area. Thank you. It is Raymond Mayer, Andrea Cow, and then John Wonker. Good afternoon. My name is Lynette Griffin. I'm a 30-year employee at Kaiser Permanente, frontline healthcare worker. 
work through the pandemic every day. It's not surprising that the hospital systems are opposing it right now because they didn't go through what we went through. Every day I came to work, I wanted to quit. Short staff, coworkers sick. If we don't retain our hospital employees, we're gonna leave. We took care of many people, probably some of your family members, and they're saying and opposing us to be rewarded for it? Really? Every day I came to work, I wanted to quit. I'm asking you to support this minimum wage to sustain our profession. Because if we leave, it's going to take care of you. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Raymond Mayer. Raymond. Hi, I um, want to thank you guys today. I'm Raymond Meyer. I want to thank you for being here today. Um, I work at Mercy McMahon Terrace. It's a, a resident care facility here in Sacramento, about two miles down the road. And um, I know you guys aren't here to make an actual decision today. You guys are, you know, reviewing this. But please keep it in your minds. Understand that we need to do this. It's imperative that we start this process and you understand what, how important this is to so many lives of so many people. You know, I, you know, I, I, I take it, I have a second job. I work a full eight, then I go work another six hours driving left because I need to pay my bills. When something happens with my wife, she's disabled, you know, I have to take time away from work. I have to do all this. I don't have time for myself. I'm counseling my other coworkers because we are all broken down. The ones that have stayed are broken down and we need better pay so we can spend time with our families and heal ourselves. This is, it, it is a crisis. My place, we have a, it's literally a, a running joke in the building and it's not a joke, it's sad but we have a revolving door of employees because they go, oh, this is too hard. I can go work at Target. I can go work anywhere else and make more money. And we're caring for people in the end of their lives, trying to give them dignity and give them the best care they can when we can't even take care of ourselves. So I really implore you guys to understand the, the gravity of the situation, not just here, but at every hospital. If you don't have health care workers, you don't have health care. Thank you for your time. Chair Valenzuela and committee members, my name is Andrea Cow, and I'm with the Sacramento Asian Pacific Chamber of Commerce, and we represent over 6,000 Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned businesses throughout the greater Sacramento region. We are in opposition to the health care minimum wage proposal, which is item three on the agenda today, as this negative, negatively affects small businesses ranging from medical practices to dental offices to urgent care centers and more. 
Healthcare is not a monolithic industry, and many small businesses in healthcare are still struggling from the COVID-19 pandemic. Now is not the time to implement this proposal, as it's like adding salt to the wound to the small business community, only trying their best to keep their businesses open and provide the best care to patients and staff. Additionally, if this proposal were implemented, one of the unintended consequences would be that many small businesses will likely shut down, leading to detrimental effects like cuts to healthcare services, increase in healthcare costs, and increase in healthcare workforce challenges. Per these reasons and more, we urge the City Council to oppose this measure. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. John Walker, following John is Jorge Ariega. Thank you so much, City Council members. It's an honor to be here. My name is John Walker. I'm an administrator at a nursing home, Advanced Healthcare of Sacramento. We recently built up our facility from the ground up in 2019, perfect timing to prep for the pandemic. All we have known is the financial burden of the, the pandemic. We are opposed to this measure as we are just coming up for a breath of fresh air after we've been bludgeoned to death with the new restrictions and tightening and continual financial burdens that we've had uh, during, the, during the pandemic to avoid our patients having this severe illness affect their lives. We have our patients, we love our patients, and we love our staff. We've continued to, to fight for their compensation during the pandemic, and in our facility, we've seen a 25% increase in nursing home staff wages during the past three years. California is very strict in their laws in nursing homes, and I find that very fortunate. Our patients have saved their entire lives and have contributed to Medicare the entire lives, every paycheck, to assure they get the best care possible. Unfortunately, with this rapid rise in pay, we would be unable to sustain in our small business of 40 private rooms the same level of quality care we have. We have an increased amount of certified nursing assistants, dietary aides, nurses, therapists in order to provide the best care and continuity of care for these patients. But with that financial burden, that would not be sustainable. We've already seen four nursing homes close during the pandemic. That's upwards of 420 patient beds opening up. And where do those patients go? We don't know, because the rest of us are all full. If you implement this, more nursing homes that are already on the brink of bankruptcy are going to close. That will create hundreds of more beds. It will create more issues for our hospitals. And no one is building a new nursing home. There's not going to be places for our patients to go. There won't be places for our staff to go. We are vehemently opposed to this and want to look for better ways to work together with our community. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Jorge Ariega. Following Jorge is Lara, uh, Laura Nizik-Williams, Sarah Faborg, and then Alina Centro-Herrera. Hi, my name is Jorge. Um, thank you for your time today. I'm an EVS uh, tech at Mercy General Hospital, and I reside in Sacramento. Um, I'm here to express my support for passing healthcare workers minimum wage in Sacramento. Uh, this is important to me and to all of us here to not only serve our community, but to provide financially for our families. Uh, this is why I urge you to support healthcare workers minimum wage to retain and recognize outstanding healthcare workers in our city. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Laura. Good afternoon, council members. My name is Laura Nisnick-Williams. I'm representing UC Davis Health today. Um, while UC Davis Health is not subject to this ordinance, we are opposed for a number of reasons. 
Um, one of the reasons is we're worried about the healthcare clinics in our community, those providing primary care, those who have uh, reproductive health services, dental care, skilled nursing, as the other speaker said. These clinics provide such a valuable service to those who are most vulnerable in our community, and they already run on really slim margins. Um, pushing forth this ordinance will just reduce their ability to hire and keep the staff that they already have and, you know, help those people who need it the most. Um, UC Davis Health partners with a number of these community clinics like Wellspace Health, Ellica Health, Sacramento Native American Health, and we provide specialty care to their primary care patients. And for example, our specialty connect program with Wellspace Health gives those patients in the community access to specialty care that they need. So access to advanced reproductive health, to rheumatology, those types of services that they can't normally get. So if these clinics reduce their staffing, the patients will have even a greater wait times to be able to access the specialty care. And instead of waiting, we know that they'll end up in our emergency departments. We have worked with the local EMS agencies like your city's fire department um, that are already impacted by the number of 911 calls and transport to local hospitals. Um, our hospital council has helped facilitate those conversations to help reduce the wall time, um, which can be a big issue when we have people who are accessing the emergency department for non-emergent or urgent care. Um, the one thing, too, we've had a great partnership with the city, um, with Aggie Square, with uh, the Whole Person Care Initiative, and um, we were disappointed that we weren't invited to the table to, ask, you know, to actually talk about this issue. So in closing, I do, um, on behalf of UC Davis Health, oppose this initiative. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Sarah Faborg, calling Sarah's Elena Centro Herrera. Hi, my name's Sarah Faborg. Thank you today, council members, for seeing us all and uh, taking this to the agenda. I'm here to express my support in passing healthcare worker minimum wage here in the city of Sacramento. I can't help but hear all the opposed and I can't help but think over the last 25 years I've been in healthcare, that the healthcare system has not gotten any better. It's only gotten worse. And I question perhaps our approach on this and where we're stepping back and seeing that survival and revenue and where that's actually going. Because if you're taking the very people who are your neighbors, your sisters, your uncles, your cousins, and you're minimizing their ability of quality of life, we're, we're talking about people that are at, at risk, single moms. There's a lot of single moms that work in healthcare, single dads, people that are widows, people are struggling with diagnoses like cancer. A lot of these beds that were filled in convalescent care homes and, and rehabs were also healthcare providers dying during the pandemic. We carry that weight in the halls every day at our job. So why not balance that with a lot of CEOs that are making four times the amount of the President of the United States and really start balancing health care. Really start seeing to what we're providing for. Who are the people we're providing for? It's your families too. It's our community. And it's time to take back our ownership of our community, which starts from the ground up with health care. Fallen broken systems is all we know in our generations. So it's time to improve systems, which means improving the quality of life of people who are providing services in those systems. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. My name. Hi, my name is Elena. Thank you for to the member. I am resident Sacramento. I am here to express my support for passing a healthcare worker minimum wage 
in the city of Sacramento. Thank you. And support, support the bill. Janice Wisdom, Jack Blattner, Maya Sondergan. Is Janice here? So Janice, Jack, and then Maya, and then Tracy Castoto. So Janice, thank you. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Janice Wisdom. Uh, thank you to the council members. And I am a staff assistant at Kaiser Permanente. And I'm also here to express my support for passing a healthcare workers minimum wage in the city of Sacramento. Uh, during COVID, I really struggled. I mean, struggled, pulled money out of my 401k, took out loans, borrowed money to maintain a household. I had three young children, ages three, five, and six. And after COVID, I found myself having to take on a second job driving Uber. So my, my heart goes out to those parents, single moms, those who are really struggling to maintain a household here in the city of Sacramento, where we know that everything has increased. Yes, there was a moratorium on rent increases, but however, it still made it very, very difficult for those of us who didn't qualify for things like that. So many of my coworkers are currently forced to work multiple jobs just to make ends meet. You know, after COVID, it, it was just even harder. It's really hard. And we watch our employers continue to uh, increase the work that we have to do, uh, but decrease the amount of staffing that's provided. This compromises our ability to provide quality care and, and it leads to burnout. And so that increase also, um, you know, the increase would alleviate the financial burden, allowing healthcare workers to focus on their primary job and dedicate more time and energy to patient thank care. Thank you for your comments. So next, thank you, thank you. This thank is you why I urge you to support. Thank you for your comments. Thank Our you. next speaker is Jack Blattner. Good afternoon, committee members. This is Jack Blattner with the Sacramento Metro Chamber, representing member businesses throughout the six-county region. Uh, the chamber is opposed to this ordinance as it comes to the committee today because we believe that a report on its economic and health impact on the region is necessary before it can be fully considered. Uh, you know, this ordinance is huge in scope. It applies higher wages not only to employees but also to contractors at healthcare providers throughout the city. And as you've heard, these increased costs could place some of the region's smaller healthcare providers at existential risk. But as a broader point, the chamber generally opposes top-down sector-specific wage requirements at the city level. This kind of policy by piecemeal can lead to complicated and uncertain gaps and overlaps, and here is no different. For example, many healthcare providers in the region are county or state entities for which the city has no power to regulate their wages. And as we heard this month, State Bill SB 525, which overlaps and preempts this ordinance, passed the state Senate floor and is coming closer and closer to the governor's desk. 
So this provides yet another critical angle of uncertainty to this ordinance's effect. So we all agree that this ordinance would have a tremendous impact for good or ill on the region's whole healthcare system. And so for such an important policy, we need much more research and context. So in conclusion, the chamber thinks it's appropriate and necessary for the city to prepare a thorough report on economic and health impact before this ordinance is considered for a vote, which would also, of course, give the city time to see how SB 525 progresses. So thank you so much for your consideration today. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Maya. Hello, my name is Maya Sangra. Thank you to the council members for being here. I'm a future healthcare worker and a child of healthcare workers, and I'm here to express my support for passing the healthcare workers minimum wage. You know, everybody's throwing the word coworkers, but it's more than coworkers. This is a family. Most people have been working together for 20 years. How would you feel if you see your family going homeless, having to live in their car because you're not making a minimum wage to support you? You know, we're taking care of other people, but who's going to take care of us? We have families, kids, friends, siblings to take care of. It's so important that we make a livable wage to support our families. You know, so I really support, I urge you guys to support the healthcare workers minimum wage. Hi, my name is Tracy Castardio. I work as a clerk five at Folsom Kaiser. Um, I actually wasn't going to say anything today. I was just going to say my support for Kaiser for, for uh, passing a healthcare workers minimum wage in the city of Sacramento. We were told we were heroes, and it looks really good in the front of our buildings, but we're not treated like that when we get in the building. Um, this is very dismissive. I, I, I hear analysts and numbers, and what I'm asking for is a living wage for people in California. Thank you. On Cotton, Shanice Hill, Sharon Brooks Boyd, Ronald Berdeo. Hello, my name is Brown Cotton, and I'm a, a resident of Sacramento as well as I'm a patient at WellSpace. And um, come think about it, knowing that uh, the workers there don't get paid that much there, and most of them be switched around. I, I done been switched around for about uh, four or five times on doctors. Well, really, not even doctors there. They, they're, they're leaving for, their, for higher pay. And most of them are taken off, you know, so that right there shows that they're not getting the right uh, pay to stay there. And if they're not getting the right pay, then I'm if they're getting shifted around for doctor to doctor and doctor that doctor that don't know my case. They got to redo my case all over again. So I see that's where I, they need to get that uh, raise so they can at least, you know, compete with the other people. You know, they're getting less than what these private sectors are going or where these hospitals are given, and they're running there. And that's why I feel that they should get the uh, minimum wage or uh, more. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Shanice Hill. Shanice. 
Hello, my name is Shanice Hill. I've worked in healthcare for about 14 years um, under numerous titles. Um, I'm here to support healthcare work of minimum wage for the city of Sacramento um, with the right supports in place. Um, I had a passionate career as a drug and alcohol counselor, and due to the wages provided, I had to change my passion. Um, I was unable to support my family with the wages that was provided. Um, it was not sustainable for my family. That's it, thank you. Thank you for your comments. Sharon. Hello, council members. Thank you so much for hearing our stories. So. I'm not a spring chicken, so I'm gonna make this short and sweet. I've been around the healthcare system, I'm a retiree from Stanford, and I wanna appreciate these people in this back room because they were the ones that were with my family members that I got to say goodbye to. I lost eight family members during the pandemic. They had their cell phones, they had their tablets. I was scared, I ain't going up in there, I'm 70 years old, I can't get that and survive. This January, when I went to Wellspace as an urgent care, it took three days six trips to try to get in to get the COVID medication because they were so backed up, so many people coming in. You couldn't even go to the ER. This is urgent. I have seen people living in cars. These are healthcare workers, and they're out here struggling. I'm a retiree. Thank God for a pension from Stanford. But what about these young people? These young kids are thinking about coming into healthcare, and this is what they have to deal with. Come on, people. We need to support these healthcare workers. Thank you all. Following Ronald is Kelly Ash, then Yolanda Villanueva. Thank you. Good afternoon, Chair, members of the committee. Uh, Ronnie Berdigo here on behalf of the California Hospital Association, uh, which represents the more than 400 hospitals and hospital systems in the state of California. Um, as the healthcare providers here have shared, we go to great lengths to support our workers uh, through competitive wages and benefits. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we are deeply concerned that this proposed city ordinance to raise the minimum wage uh, specifically for the healthcare sector will only hurt access to care uh, and drive monthly premiums uh, and those costs further out of reach uh, for working families. Uh, we know that statewide, uh, an increase like the one you're considering today uh, would cost the entire healthcare field at least $8 billion uh, annually uh, and growing each year after there. Uh, this is coming at a time when we've already had one major hospital closure uh, in the Central Valley uh, and multiple bankruptcies uh, just this year uh, in different parts of the state. Um, while we don't know or ultimately know the final consequences, uh, we do know that a cost driver like this uh, will for force providers to have to think about uh, making tough uh, decisions and tough choices from reducing services to outright closure of certain departments or facilities. So uh, we also know that this will be most harmful to disadvantaged communities. Uh, where we see high shares of folks that are either on Medi-Cal or Medicare. Um, and so for these reasons, we respectfully request uh, that you do not move this issue forward and want to echo the request earlier uh, for an economic and health impact study uh, for the proposal. Thank you. Thank you for comments. Kelly Ash and then Yolanda Villanueva. Well, thank you for the time, City Council members. I'm Kelly Ash. I'm with Dignity Health. Um, we concur with our colleagues' comments on our concerns around the economic impact that this is going to have on the city and um, all of the, um, especially the uh, federally health, uh, qualified health care facilities and the uh, skilled nursing facilities in Sacramento that are already greatly struggling. 
Um, their inability to maintain these facilities in Sacramento would only end up harming the most vulnerable in our city. And um, those, those, those organizations restricting their access to care is only going to further impact our um, emergency departments. So we'd like you uh, to, we'd request that there be an economic and healthcare impact study done. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Yolanda Villanueva, and then we'll go online to Maggie Parsons. Hi, my name is Yolanda Villanueva, and I am a patient, I'm chronically ill, and so I've seen both specters of the people who care for you and then the corporations who want to say they're going to hurt by giving these people who had to scramble and work 24-7, not go home, they, didn't, they, they take care of their elderly parent, they got their children, they're staying at hotels, UHW steps in, tr gets them, tries to get some bill going to help them find daycare. I seen all that because I have to go to the doctor lots of times. I'm chronically ill. So I say to these people, if they can take care of me and go to work, we had all the helicopters, all these parades for them, thanking the hero hero heroic, staying at work 24-7, staying in hotels. Sometimes they had to save a little money and sleep in the car, but the children were home with family members, somebody. So all of those things, we appreciate, applaud, yeah, yeah. But the real thing is, give them their pride. Don't make them scrape. Don't make them stay further away from their children after the nine, not nine eleven, after the COVID. You know, we can't do this to these people. And I'm also, when I stayed at the hospital when I had the stomach surgery from COVID, because I'm a long-term, everyone knows that bone uh, patients did not do well in this uh, COVID stuff. So, you know, you go to the infusion, I see the people there, we're all wearing masks, everything. You know what? I get a phone call Easter day telling me to quarantine myself. There your was comments, your time is complete. Okay. Thank UHW, you for your comments. UHW, these people, let's give them their respect. Thank Forget you for your the, comments. <laughs> Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Maggie Parsons. Thank speaker. you. Yeah. Thank you, Madam um, Chair of Elizabeth and the fellow council members. Um, I am a physician in a small practice in Sacramento, in the city of Sacramento, and I have strong concerns about this potential ordinance and that the cost that would put all, pay, all patients and patients' access to care at serious risk. I urge that you do not move this ordinance forward. It increased the cost to deliver care. Even with the exceptions of smaller practice and some other clinics, by market forces, all practices would be pushed to raise salaries. We would not be able to sustain our practices, um, and particular concern as well for all the community clinics, FQHCs, and all independent small practices that are an important part of serving our community. We all have faced burnout and stress. We also face in California a severe difficulty in recruiting physicians to the state. This ordinance would put further risk of recruiting physicians to our Sacramento area taking care, to care for the members of our community. I worry also that if this were to move forward, as others have mentioned, programs would be cut, practices would be closed, 
many of the programs that would suffer would be those that are some of the most important for preventative care, educational <laughs> care, and the services people need. I urge you to not move this forward. It would put the health care of all of Sacramento at risk at all societal levels. At, we would not be able to provide the care. We would lose physicians. We would lose practices. We would not be able to recruit. Thank you for um, the opportunity to speak and happy to be um, a resource for anyone wanting to talk about community care. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Chair, I have no more speakers. All right, I want to thank everybody who took time out of a weekday to, to come down and provide testimony today. This is really um, a great discussion. And before I turn it over to my colleagues, since I helped introduce this ordinance in partnership with UHW, I wanna take a little bit of chair's privilege and open up the conversation here a little bit. And I wanna start by just asking all of us in this room and watching online to think about how much you make an hour. Just think about it. And maybe you can't think of the number right off the top of your head because you probably definitely make more than $25 an hour. Because I remember when I made less than $25 an hour, I could tell you down to the quarter cent what my hourly salary was. And I say that because, right, I mean, $25 an hour puts you at about 52000 a year, right? And so I was really struck by the comments today citing concerns about the economic and community health impacts that this ordinance might have. Because I actually agree. I'm really concerned about the economic and community health impacts that not doing this will have on our community. 52. the median wage that we were likely having to subsidize your housing. $52,000 means that you're not able to afford to repair your car. It means that you're not able to afford services for your kids. This is money, when I hear the subsidy of how much it would cost to pay $25 an hour, recognizing just how low that still is, I see that number as direct investment back in the city of Sacramento. I see that as money being spent at our grocery stores. I see that as money being spent on clothes for kids. I see that on money being spent spent for rent and for mortgages and for new cars. I see that money is not money spent in the ether, is money lost, but money reinvested in, as many said today, the very people without whom there is no health care who are telling us today that they are leaving this profession, that they are sleeping in their cars, that they are worried about continuing to do work they love. And I want to take a moment to commend each and every one of you for sticking through it with such low wages. Um, it takes a lot to do that. I'm very proud to have a family full of healthcare workers, from dental hygienists to respiratory therapists to x-ray technicians to in-home healthcare workers. I saw firsthand, my sister was having to consider sleeping in her car just to make sure she didn't spread COVID to her kids because she wasn't sure if it would spread to her kids. And that was literally the sacrifice she was making, and we're still sitting here talking about whether $25 an hour, which I would argue is not even a living wage in this town right now, is sufficient to ensure that people have the care that they need. So I guess I just, as you can tell, I'm clearly a little bit in support of this ordinance, um, and, the, and the conversation today is about whether or not we want to bring something back. And so I want to recognize that I have been in conversations with several of the clinics in my district. And what they have asked for is a little bit of time to figure out what this looks like. I have not yet heard any one of those clinics say, no, we can't do this, although I appreciate the large hospitals for speaking on their behalf. What I've heard them say is, we need to figure this out. We need to think about what this means for us. We need a little bit of time, which is what we can give them in this process. The next, the earliest law and ledge meeting wouldn't be until August. Um, you know, this might be likely in September. That means we'll know the outcome of SB 520 
2025. We would have been given that couple of months for the clinics to figure out and have those conversations. But I just want to say that I think this is the direction our state is going, and I'm proud of that. And to have the opportunity to take this time to really think about what this means in the city of Sacramento and how we would make this work. If the state law passes, great. We don't need this. Awesome. If the state law doesn't pass, great. We have a backup mechanism here that we can look at to pursue still locally. I just don't understand any sort of qualms we might have about moving forward with just this immediate next step, which is not to say we're saying, yes, let's go. We're approving it today. It's just to say, let's bring this back to law and ledge. And let's have staff do a little bit of work on this. And let's continue this conversation about moving it forward to the city council for approval. So that is my request of my colleagues here today on this dais is that we stand with these workers who have stood with us, who've stood with our loved ones, who have done work that a lot of people don't want to do or can't do um, because they care about our community. Um, and hopefully just give staff the simple direction to bring this back to law and ledge, take the next couple of months to continue talking to the clinics, to continue talking to other stakeholders so we can really figure out how to make this work for, for our city. So that's my request of my colleagues today for direction and love to hear what you all have to say about that. Uh, yeah, no, oh, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I was waiting to see the queue. No, I did. I, You're okay. I pushed the wrong button there. So. <laughs> uh, but too many buttons here. Uh, no, for, first of all, I want to thank everyone for coming out here today um, because there's no, there's no question that I think the, the, the biggest issue that faces all of us is, is our current situation from our healthcare system. And, you know, if, if there's anything that the conversation leads to today is the fact that a lot of our healthcare system both has been suffering because, one, not only at the state but at the federal level, the compensation and reimbursement for of it all has, has been undermined. And I, I've heard it all the time, whether it's been a worker or a dentist or a doctor or, a, you know, an administrator, that the reimbursement rates for the actual cost of health care aren't being covered. And we've had those debates and those conversations on this dais here. Um, but they're not ones, uh, I think, on the immediate that we can solve even here in this dais. You know? and, and I wouldn't even say Little Sacramento anymore because we're half a million people now. Now we are a significant-sized city. Um, and uh, and the the issues and I've and I've talked to a lot of the workers as well too, the you know the the staffing ratios and the hours that it, that they're out there enduring and working hard and what that means to patient care. So I think those are all very relevant facts and relevant issues. Um, the question before us today is, you know, should this council approve an ordinance on one specific industry in an area where the city really you know particularly those on the dais here. We, we, we don't even manage a health care system, and in fact, or work on the health care. We've had that debate when it comes to the issue of homelessness. That's our, that's our county partners. Now, we've, we've taken those conversations on. Uh, and I've had all the opportunity to talk to, you know, the, a number of the folks in, uh, that run the clinics and some of those in, in the other uh, larger institutions and, and even those in, in uh, private practice. And, uh, again, the, the point here, I think, is, uh, is that for us to even consider a conversation, we do need to have the right information before us and understand what the impacts for us would be. You, hear, you heard today in the conversation that if, if you don't increase wages, people are going to leave. Of course, you also heard that if you increase wages, we're going to have to reduce staffing levels, and then we're going to have less shortages. So for normally when we make a decision on this dais, we have two experts sitting on that table there that can give us 
some level of information or some level of, of confidence about, you know, where, where the truth lies and where, uh, where the facts are. Uh, so uh, in, in my case, I don't feel comfortable moving this to the council uh, now. Um, I, would like to, I would like to see what, what does this mean. There are two major questions. The first one uh, would be what, what are, what's the impacts for a single city to take on an ordinance like this? I think that's the first immediate question, and I'd like to make sure that our city staff ask that question and reach out to the other cities that have done that uh, and find out what does a single jurisdiction ordinance do? Because I'll tell you one thing that happened um, in certain, when we've done other uh, issues in Sacramento is that when we take an action here, then the problem moves elsewhere or the, uh, uh, an unintended consequence that moves elsewhere to another jurisdiction. And what I'd hate to occur is jurisdiction shopping where all of a sudden, um, you know, it, you know the, the issue of, of, um, uh, of the healthcare industries expanding uh, or more healthcare clinics growing, for example, we're trying to create a uh, healthcare clinic, uh, clinic down in South Sacramento where we have very limited access to pre, uh, you know, pediatric dental, uh, and there's an opportunity to do that, but this, this could jeopardize it. We don't know. The, the, on the flip side, some have argued that if you increase the wages, you might actually compete against other jurisdictions and be able to bring more, more folks into the city, uh, but it could also affect those that, uh, that are dependent on reimbursement or that's not covered. So those are all significant, very complex questions. And the way that the ordinance, I think, is drafted right now and is, I think, is intended to be uh, the goal is that it's all-encompassing, that it encompasses anything from your large institution, uh, with the exception of the UC Davis, uh, the, you know, the county public, uh, the county hospital there with UC Davis system, to um, even your well space, your Planned Parenthood, your dental office. So, you know, the implications of that, I think I, I'd like to uh, understand what are all of those key pieces. Uh, and if, in, in fact, there is a cost, um, you know, then we should understand what the trade-offs are. Every time we make a decision here, we say, well, what are, what are the, the, the trade-offs are? So to, for me, I think that's the, the big question on the first is, what does a, a, um, a single jurisdiction ordinance do? Uh, and then second, um, you know, what are the, the clear, not only economic, but health impact costs for the area? Because in, in our region, uh, and that's the, the other key piece here is that uh, in our region, um, and it'll probably maybe within the city too, that healthcare is the second largest industry. So how does this, how does this affect that area? I think those are some clear questions that, uh, that I'd like to ask. The other piece that I think uh, always comes up here and, uh, is, you know, uh, what, what happens when we get too far ahead of active conversations at the state? You know, in some cases it's benefited us. In other cases it's meant it's created a lot of complexity where we've had to come back and untangle everything. So um, for, for what I'd like to see here is also, you know, what happens at the state level. Uh, if the state goes and, and creates uh, a floor where every jurisdiction is playing under the same field, then that, I think, answers the first question. But if it doesn't, then I think we still have uh, that major question to answer. So for me, I, I would feel much more comfortable um, looking at making sure that we have 
all the impacted, um, uh, all the unintended consequences. Um, so uh, seeing staff that speak not only with their labor partners and, and looking at their data, I'm assuming that they have looked at data, but also meeting with all of our clinics, all of our community, and the FQHCs I think are the ones that I'm also very concerned about. And also um, the, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, other uh, healthcare providers as well. Uh, I think there's a lot of players in a very, a, a very, um, uh, very focused uh, proposal here, but it has an, a very wide implication that I think is important to be heard. So those are my comments, Madam Chair, and uh, I'd like to hear my other colleagues here. Thank you. I just um, want to clarify my direction just to see if you agree, Vice Mayor, because I think you do, but I just want to make double sure. Um, my direction was to bring this ordinance back to law and ledge so we could have that staff conversation and staff could spend time doing that research and asking those questions. And then we would decide to, well, at that time, to advance it to city council. And my idea is that we target our second law and ledge meeting in September. That would be after the end of session. We'd know if 525 was still moving forward. And we'd be able to have an informed discussion, both from the stakeholder input, as well as from the legislative discussion on whether or not it's still appropriate for us to consider. Is yeah. that a direction that you agree well, with? Well, yes, but I wouldn't tie it just to the September hearing, because if, uh, you know, I want to make sure we've got, we've got a bunch Bunch of other things that we've got our staff working on too. So if if uh, if September is what the staff feels that they can do the appropriate outreach, okay. and because it's not just with our local stakeholders, I think what's important to find out is how has this Im impacted in the other regions, and uh, what has what's happening in Southern California. I think is a lot different than what's happening over here, uh, and I, I hope we are never in the situation that some of the Central Coast has where they've had hospital closures. But I do think that we have, we're in a different jurisdiction. But I think having those conversations, I think, are important to be able to move forward. I agree. So, um, th so it sounds like the only qualm you have is the date certain in September, that if we need more time, we allow it. That's correct. Because okay. I think if we try to rush this, it's, no, it's going to be a problem. I appreciate that. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings. Thank you very much, Chair. Um, I, I think I'm right with both of you, but I want to first thank the audience and the speakers for coming today. Um, I heard every single word you said. I wrote down everything you said. And you were passionate and articulate in your conversations, and you let us know what the state is as you know it in your profession. And I appreciate that. Say that again. Okay, and his patience. I'll take that too. But I just want to thank you for that because that helps us when we try to make these decisions. Um, I think my colleagues have said it best as far as bringing this back to Law and Ledge. That's, that I heard clearly. And I think the conversation about when to bring it back is up in the air. And I'm probably going to put something on the table that's going to complicate it a little bit more as far as when it can come back. Um, we talked about Senate Bill 525. Um, we talked about that. Um, I want to make sure that when this comes back, that it is a full economic and health impact study. When I say full, it tells me the health and economic impact to the region. And so it, it, it gives us the information that I think we're lacking by not having the experts here today. But it gives us time to get that information. It needs to not only talk about the impact to the city of Sacramento, but to the profession, the health profession, and the impact to the region. 
So a full economic and health impact study, it needs to measure the cost of the 120 health organizations within the city. It needs to take a look at the fallout of lost jobs and health access when any of them are forced to close. It needs to look at if $25 is minimum for the lowest, for the, for the lower um, wage employees, what does that do as far as financial impact to employees who are currently making 25 and where does it take them up to? So what is the full cost of the, and impact of this uh, measure? So I want to make sure it's a full economic and health impact. And if that can be done by our next council meeting, I mean, law and ledge meeting in September, then I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good for bringing it back here for us to have a further discussion and then be able to determine whether or not it's ready to go to the full council. So I just want to make sure that we do that full economic and health impact study so we can truly understand the full impact of this. Okay, I got thanks. one concurrence out there. <laughs> uh, thank you, Vice Chair. Um, uh, Councilmember Kaplan, and then I'll see if I can figure out some up next steps here. Thank you, Chair. Um, I, too, want to thank everyone for coming. Um, it's, it's hard to hear your stories. It's hard to hear that you have to work two jobs. Um, it's a story, unfortunately, I hear amongst many of our low-wage employees, from our parks maintenance workers, from I spent 20 years as a school board member, from our health aides, from our secretaries at the front desk. Um, we have a problem in society. We are not valuing those that do the work that keep society and all of our organizations running. Plain and simple. Um, I admire the spunk that brings you here because you're coming here because you can't get the help you need in negotiations with your hospital organizations. Because plain and simple, this is, you should be negotiating with your employer. And you're here because of that frustration. And that, that, that truly is like a hard part because it isn't necessarily the job of the city to do the negotiating. But we are finding ourselves because of COVID, because of the impact, because of the impact of inflation and everything on our lowest paid workers, this is what is being presented to us. And so, um, I'm a process and procedure rules girl, which some find it a pain in the ass. Um, believe me, I, I find sometimes irritate myself. But I, I, I hear my colleagues because it is, I want to make the right decision. And I want to make it based off of facts and understanding. Um, but I hear you. And, and, and I know how many are struggling today. I, I want to make sure that you, you know that, because here's the thing. We have an issue of a housing crisis, an economic crisis, an uh, inflation crisis for the least among us and the lowest paid. And that is not just you, but that is our entire city. It is also California and our country that we do not value that. And, and how and what is the right way to address that inequity? Because I know our hospital systems can do better. But I worry about our small businesses, those that may be an individual dentist and a doctor. How do they do that? I'm a small business owner. Margins are thin. I get to fire myself. I hire and fire myself. You know, I, I understand sometimes how you look at things and what the impact is of 
how do we do this? Because I also want to look at if we move forward with this, what is it actually, what impact does it have elsewhere? So I appreciate Councilmember Jennings, and I think I heard you right, Vice Mayor, that you were basically asking for the same kind of analysis of, of to understand the impact, because I also want to understand if we move forward and do this, I know our school systems are going to have to negotiate because of janitors and healthcare workers and health aides are making this here, what does it do to our school districts? And where our school districts, will health aides leave our school districts because they know they're gonna get more here and then what happens to our kids? Like, I, like it's like chess, if, then, who, what, when, where. Um, I like to have those facts presented to me because I wanna make a decision knowing the decision I'm making and the impacts that it'll have. And I think that's helpful when we make these decisions because I wish I could say that the right thing right now was, was to move forward with this ordinance. I'm not saying this ordinance is bad. I just need to understand the full scope of what we're doing and the impact we're having so I make a knowledge-based decision. That's all I'm asking for is a knowledge-based decision. And I want it done where staff can say they've got the information to give us because again, if it comes back to us and I don't feel like I've got that understanding, I'm gonna ask to go back out again or it's something I can't make a decision on or be aligned with. So um, I know our hospitals can try and do a little better. Um, I got a lot of uh, contact for some of our small businesses uh, in District 1 asking for more time to understand the impact of this and what it will do. Um, but I'm in alignment with uh, Vice Chair Jennings and Vice Mayor Guerra in that I would like um, an economic and health impact, uh, the impact to the city. But also, like, I got to tell you, I'm a city council member. If we're doing this, then the minimum wage for every city employee should be $25. That, that is unfair. Dias, that we say we're going to advocate for you, but I can't advocate for my own city employees. If a janitor is going to make $25 and we're going to do that, we better damn well stand up and do $25 for our, our employees here in the city of Sacramento. And I need our finance people sitting there telling me what that impact is and what it looks like. So that's... Make sure they put the so um, if we could, uh, we don't normally do audience callbacks, so I'm going to try to uh, appreciate the exuberance, but just want to keep be able to tie this up. So I want to distinguish a couple of different options from what I was suggesting, what I think I heard the vice chair suggesting, just to make sure I'm clear on direction to staff. Um, what I was suggesting was that staff work with stakeholders to get input, to ask questions, to call other cities, to see what the impact has been, and to bring that back, which is something that they could probably do in the next couple of months. I think what I heard the vice chair ask for, and so I'd like just clarification, is more of a professional, like consultant comes in, looks at a regional analysis, which would potentially require us to contract out and could take several months. So I just want to understand like, if that's my fair understanding or if you were thinking this is something that staff could do through the stakeholder engagement process. I, I wish I knew the timeline that it would take to do those two studies, but I think when they come back to us and tell us, when I say a full economic and health impact study, if we really want the information, we may have to take the time in order to get that information so we can make the best decision. And it may take longer than the time of coming back in September. It may take longer, but we would have the information to be able to make the kind of decision we need to make. Okay, I guess I just want to clarify for staff because it sounds, so what you just said, it sounds like you want a professional study, like a study that you know we have a 
a consultant come in and, and do like we did for cannabis, right? When we had the EPS study where they came in and do a market analysis, that's what the sort of study that you're looking for. I believe so. Okay. And colleagues, is that the level of study you would like before we proceed as well, Vice Mayor? Yeah, look, I, that would that would that would be helpful. Um, uh, the staff could tell us. If we could please stop with the outburst so we can hear our colleagues. That would be much appreciated. I know we just need to have the discussion. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, if our if our staff doesn't have the capacity, again, that's why I was saying like is September gonna be enough time because we've got them working on you know, on a number of other issues. So if that's not, I mean, they'll, I think they would probably tell us within the next month whether we need to procure something. I'm assuming it's would be below the threshold that it has to come back to council for, for procurement. I mean, that anything that size would be a massive study. But, it, but if it and if it is that, then we then it tells us the scope of this of this uh, of um, this work. So I would say um, that I, I agree with, uh, with uh, the vice chair here that uh, if we need that, staff will come to us and we can see that and, uh, and making sure that we have that. Now, uh, so the, the last thing I'll say, this is the, that's my last comment, uh, is I would I agree with the vice chair, but, um, you know, this is more editorial than anything else. You know, at, as a Kaiser member, no, our entire, entire family at Kaiser and our kids born there, I, I also expect that the institution bargain fairly and and support their workers and give them a good contract with the fair wage. I mean, that, to me, that that's just as a member, one parent that would, that wants to make sure that their folks are there. So that's a separate aside from, you know, um, this uh, this article, this this position. But uh, to that point, I, I would support the, the vice chair's recommendation. Yeah, and I will note that um, Kaiser is actually neutral on this ordinance proposal, um, as are several of the local stakeholders. So just put that out in the record um, that they've actually communicated to me that they're neutral on this language as it stands. I um, appreciate. Oh, I know that. that. I just know they're. I, I know. I just want to put that out there for the record because I know a lot of people here are from Kaiser. Just so you all know officially that they've told us they are neutral on this ordinance. Um, I mean, I want to respect the obvious will of the committee, you know, three of my colleagues saying that they want a more in-depth study. I, I personally don't feel like I need a study to tell me that making less than $25 an hour isn't good policy. Um, and I think the conversation... <laughs> ...to put it out there, you know, I think the conversation about... This is when we talk about high road jobs. You know, we talk about raising the standard. We had the same conversation with restaurant minimum wage when we were doing $15 an hour. We've had the same conversation every time. What about this? What about that? That is the problem that I think we need to be solving. Because if it means that our janitors need to make more, awesome. If it means that we need to pay our schools more so that their employees can make a fair wage, awesome. I was proud to stand with SEIU 10 to 1 when they struck last year for fair wages for their employees. I'm sure we'd find a lot of solidarity across the SEIUs and beyond to say, yes, this is about raising the floor which means it will raise the floor probably for everybody. And that's a good thing from my perspective. But I want to respect the will of the committee that they would like um, more information before bringing this back. And so the direction to staff here is to engage in that type of regional analysis, um, to follow up if you need more resources to conduct that analysis and to bring it back to Law & Ledge once that regional analysis is complete. Um, anybody have any last thoughts? Mr. Chair, just, just want to be clear, the, the full economic impact that we're asking them to go back and get really gives us the information we need in order to be able to make the decisions moving forward. So that if it's $25 an hour for the lowest paid worker, what's the impact to the rest of the organizations and their workers within it when they now have to go up other finance dollars 
to keep those people on board. So there's no unintended consequences of losing employees because you can't continue to afford to pay them or you, whatever the case may be. Yeah. So the full economic impact is what's really important for us to be able to make the decision moving forward. No, I appreciate that. I mean, I think it's great that employees would have better options, um, and I appreciate the small businesses who are exempt from this ordinance who are concerned that if hospitals were paying more that their people might leave for those better opportunities. I think that's what High Road is about. Um, you know, the principle of High Road is that if we set that standard, then we folks have to figure it out. They have to prioritize. They have to make those decisions. And when it comes down to the other end of the equation, when we're solving for workforce housing or we're solving for kids who need more tutoring support or we're solving for transit service for people who can't afford cars. This all is related to sustaining the upstream issue is the fact that folks aren't making enough money um, and that if we had an opportunity for folks to make enough money, that would then alleviate all of the downstream issues that we do deal with as a city, which is having to solve those issues and create those services and figure out those gaps. Um, but that's just a policy decision and so I've definitely heard from the committee so the direction to staff is, is clear, I believe. I keep looking at Consuelo to make double sure. Okay. <laughs> I believe we can talk more later um, if necessary and hopefully we will be back um, in the not too distant future to consider bringing an ordinance to council. Um, but thank you everybody for coming here today. And that's the end of the meeting. To item four, and I assume you all don't want to stay for this one, so if you could just leave, if you could leave as quietly as possible, that would be great, so we could wrap up our agenda. Thank you again. Um, item four is a council member proposal request for committee consideration to sign on to various bills. Um, this request has come from my office um, and is regarding several LGBTQ plus related bills. Um, consistent with direction this council, this committee took just a couple weeks ago um, regarding other LGBTQ related bills. So, um, uh, Madam Clerk, do we have any public comments on this item? I do have one hand raised, Evan Minton. Evan, if you'll unmute. Sure. Hi, my name is Evan Minton. I'm speaking today to express my heartfelt gratitude to Councilmember Valenzuela for her unwavering dedication and for bringing this crucial ask before the Law and Lunch Committee. As I look around this esteemed committee, I'm heartened to see longtime LGBTQ plus supporters and allies, individuals who understand the challenges faced by our community. We are living in troubling times where the LGBTQ plus community continues to face discrimination, violence, and systemic barriers. In particular, our transgender community and particularly trans kids bear the brunt of this prejudice. According to recent statistics, hate crimes against trans individuals has surged by an alarming 20% in this past year alone. Access to adequate health care, education, and employment opportunities remains limited for their exacerbating disparities. However, we have an opportunity before us today. Through this package of legislation, to, we can address these challenges head on. Each piece of legislation in this package holds a different nexus in a direct nexus with our cities and offers critical support to some of our most targeted individuals in our society. It's a chance to make a stand for equality and justice, to ensure that every member of our community, regardless of their gender identity or sexual identity, can live their lives freer from fear and discrimination. So today during Pride Month, I implore each and every one of you to lend your support to option number two. By doing so, you can send a powerful message of solidarity and inclusivity. You can show our LGBTQ plus community that you stand with us, that you recognize our struggles, and that you continue to be committed to creating a city where everyone can thrive. Thank you, Councilmember Valenzuela, for bringing this vital matter before us. 
I urge everyone on the committee to stand together and make a resounding statement in support of equity and justice for all. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Chair, I have no more speakers. Thank you. Um, and in case you didn't get it from that enthusiastic comment, we've been working with Evan on this bill package. Um, they approached us because we normally sign bills for the city. And after conferring with staff, we determined this to be outside of the scope of our alleged platform. So wanted to bring it forward to the committee, but assumed, again, given recent action, that it shouldn't be too controversial, but would love to hear from the colleagues, starting with um, Councilmember Kaplan. Thank you, Chair Valenzuela, and thank you for Evan Michael Mitten for working with your office to bring this forward. I think it's important to look at what's been happening at City Council, uh, as well as what's been happening nationwide. Um, an attack on one is an attack on all. As a Jewish woman, I've watched the attacks on women, and I've watched the attacks on what it is to be Jewish. And uh, in my culture, we are taught uh, because of World War II, an attack on one is attack on all. And if, no, and if we aren't going to stand up for others, who are then we and what have we learned from history? So for me, this is an easy one. Um, I'm going to make a motion for number two. While I get that this doesn't quite fit in our platform, yeah, it does. It stands, it's about doing the right thing. And it's about equity. So I make a motion for uh, passing this uh, under two and having chair you work with staff and bringing it forward to city council. Great. Thank you so much, council member. Vice mayor. Thank you very much, uh, chair. And, uh, you know, I want to thank uh, Evan uh, for, uh, you know, taking the time to have this conversation. As most of you know, my, my opinion on debating issues that are still uh, in, uh, in the purview of the legislature that we don't have direct control over. But I, I agree with my colleague, um, you know, Councilmember Kaplan, and, and after, you know, when, when uh, interestingly enough, when right before Evan called me, I was listening to a terrible uh, story um, of a librarian who uh, had been uh, just two years ago been treated as uh, a local hero, and then the current climate and the current prejudice uh, against, you know, um, you know, uh, of her uh, trans, you know, uh, uh, being openly trans and um, and in a community where she is an educator, where she's creating opportunity and not now being treated so negatively to where uh, she can't walk around, uh, can't go to the drive-through in her own community. I think uh, we've gone back 30 years in that sense. And so, you know, I don't want to get dogmatic in my own policy here because I do think that this is one of those situations where, uh, unfortunately, there are those, even here in Sacramento, you know, in our own region, who have, um, uh, who have started to attack one of our own neighbors uh, it, for simply being who they are. And, uh, and that is unsacramented, in my opinion. So I'll second that, um, you know, council member. And, it's, uh, it's, it's unfortunate that legislation has to be introduced because we're in this state. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. Yeah, when you look through some of these bills, it's like, wow, I can't believe that we have to legislate that. But here we sit. So, all right. Vice Chair. Thank you very much. Um, I, I, I agree with my colleagues on most of these bills. I have one bill that I'm not totally understanding of and have not had a chance to do the research. And so... I'm hoping that one of my two colleagues or three colleagues can help me to understand it a little bit better. It's on AB 9957, um, where the parent, if one of the parents is not acceptive 
of the gender identification of the child, then the court rules in favor of the one that does accept. And I'm just trying to understand that a little bit more. Are we taking parent right away from the one that does not understand? Is there anything in that bill that focuses on education or anything at all that helps us not take away the parent's right to be a parent for that child? I think um, this bill, based on my understanding, and I don't know if Evan's still online and wants to raise their hand because I know they've been tracking these bills quite closely, um, but that this just requires the court to consider um, whether or not the alignment of the parent with the minor's gender identity is in the best interest. And so this isn't about, I don't believe this is about taking away parental rights. This is just about if they're making decisions that that's part of the factor that they're weighing, um, which is obviously the minor's right in, in the court's view to choose their correct gender identity. Um, so that's, I don't know if Evan's online and wants to, okay, if we can unmute Evan, if you want to add anything, Evan. That's absolutely right. Um, it's 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 a, taking it into consideration and determining custody or visitation. It's in the best interest um, for their gender identity to be recognized. It's in the best interest of their health, safety, and welfare of the child. Yeah, and obviously it would be a number of factors, including the child's like preferences, you know, other testimony, just like family court normally does. Is that helpful? It, it's helpful. It's, I, I just know it is a family court matter, and I just don't know how it got grouped in with this, these these uh, bills. But you know, if it's a, if I have the ability to vote on this, with the exception of 957, then I would prefer to do that until I can research this more. Okay in order to give my support behind it. Quickly, so I pulled up the language, mm -hmm. which I think might help it in the context of this. It it's, would, would make an amendment in family code. So an item when it's being um, presented to the judge, when the judge makes a determination of uh, what's in the best interest of the child, um, and there are certain sections or things that the judge should take into consideration, is what it does is, among other factors, all the factors that the judge has to take into consideration for the health, safety, and welfare, what it does is just uh, add in, as, as used in this paragraph, of when the judge makes the decision on the health, safety, and welfare of the child, um, that it includes a parent's affirmation of a child's gender identity. So it is not a sole determiner, but it does say for the judge to consider and add in whether the parents agree or disagree with the child's gender if the child sees themselves as something different than what they were assigned or born with. And to the question of like theme, if you're, there is a theme here around LGBTQ and specifically transgender safety and rights. So the bathroom, seeking care outside of your state, you know, all of these, that's sort of the general through line here and that's how this bill is included in that package. But if you would like to abstain from, from that specific bill while you read it, that's also your choice as well. We can move I, the three of us. I think it would be the best for me at this okay. point in time because okay. I'm still having questions in my head that I don't want to take all this time to be able to answer here today. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Vice Mayor, did you want to chime in one more time? Oh, no, I, I was just, I think okay. Councilmember Kaplan mentioned that it gives the authority in the, in the judge's discretion. Okay, um, so uh, Vice Chair, what would your preference be? We could vote on all extending and then do a separate measure mo motion for 957 if you'd like to record your vote on the rest. Is that okay with? Okay, as the amended. Okay, so the motion as amended um, is to um, pass to council all bills except for 957. So all in favor, please say aye. Aye. Any abstentions or no's? Okay, and then I'll take another motion on 957. So moved. Okay. Second. 
Okay, so now the motion is to pass AB 957 for support to the, straight to the council. Um, we'll do a roll call vote on this one, Madam Clerk. Councilmember Gatta? Aye. Councilmember Jennings? No. Councilmember Kaplan? Aye. Chair Valenzuela? Yes. So that passes to council three, two, one. Awesome. All right, that is it for our agendized items. Uh, does anybody have any comments or questions on items not on the agenda? Any ideas from the committee? Oh, go ahead, Mike. Oh, yes. Uh, sorry, um, um, this is for staff, and I should have done this through the, the, the uh, consent item, but I just wanted to uh, circle back on, um, um, on the sa gun safety storage um, mm -hmm. legislation. And um, I know our, someone in our city attorney's office was working on that, but I'd also like to look at um, you know the 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 cost it takes us to store uh, when when the city and or law enforcement confiscates firearms from folks like it costs us money to do that so we you know um, you know either they were uh, so they were the the owner wasn't properly storing them or they shouldn't have had them or whatnot uh, we should be able to recover our cost for storing those firearms so um, if that's a, you know, when that's being drafted, I want to make sure that we do that. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a, you know, in the country and everyone took hunter safety at the age of 15. And, and I think that anyone who's going to still, uh, you know, manage or control firearms, they need to make sure that they're being responsible in every aspect of it. And if not, then we shouldn't be bearing the cost of that. Okay. I appreciate that. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Um, Councilmember Kaplan. Um, thank you, Chair. Um, it may or may not have come to your attention uh, yet, but I put in a request for to come to Law and Ledge um, uh, the adoption to go to City Council of Ordinance on additional steps we should take for sideshows. Mm. So if you wouldn't mind, I would greatly appreciate if we could fast track um, while I put in the submittal. Um, I'm working on with uh, the DA's office and I'll run it by um, and I'm working with Oakland and I'm reaching out to the city of Pico Rivera who have also done this um, just to follow up they've already passed ordinances of things that have worked that I want to see what we can we can present to law and ledge and I'll have it written in ordinance form um, so that we could potentially fast track this because I know this is of importance in every one of our districts. So I'm trying to like streamline it a little bit I and would love that. if the chair could at our next lawn ledge uh, bring forth what I'm able to draft. Absolutely. Yeah, I have not seen that yet. So thank you for putting that on my radar and um, good timing because we're just now trying to plan our August 15th um, marathon meetings. So um, I will pick, pick which of our options work best for yours. It'll probably be the 1 p.m. version because, yes, I'm talking about two meetings on the 15th. Are you excited? Oh, well. Because <laughs> we have that many items to consider. Um, so we'll consider yours for the 1 p.m. meeting at Lawn Legend. I'm just saying that for Consuelo's benefit as well um, so we can get and, and that I, moving. And, and I will have it yeah. in actual be awesome. what it looks like for it to be added to the city code awesome. with options in case we want to do one part and not another awesome. it, that we can we can chunk it out because yeah, then we could pursue option two which is always to say yes let's go straight to council um so yeah we will get that on the 1 p.m august 15th that's generally my policy is once i get it i try to get it on the next meeting and it's just wonderful that the august 15th meeting is going to be pack a lunch it'll be yeah. fun all right vice chair just very quickly i want to support uh Councilmember Kaplan's um, on the sideshows that we're having, and for a couple of reasons. We've been dealing with this issue for a long time in Sacramento, and we need to move forward as far as how we're going to address it. And last night on the news, I heard 
about sideshows, and I just imagine that it was here in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. It was actually in um, Elk Grove. And so the whole Elk Grove is starting to pick up on that being another location where these sideshows are impacting the public safety of our residents um, and, and danger of, of driving a car way too fast, you know, and not being able to control it. So I want to support her on this as far as getting it to Law and Ledge or to the full council as quickly as possible so we can tighten up our current ordinances, current ordinances and work, continue to work with the state on trying to make some changes so that police officers don't have to be present in order to be able to um, make an arrest. Absolutely. All right, yeah, it's definitely a scary trend um, that we are all watching. So we can, if you're starting to work with staff already, that just makes it go even faster. So um, we will get it on the 15th at 1 p.m. so that law and ledge agendas are not going to be the reason for any delay. Um, I'm excited. Two meetings in one day for one committee is going to be super fun. Um, all right, do we have any public comment on items not on the agenda? Chair, I have one hand raised, Barry Boyd. Welcome, Barry. Mr. Boyd, if you'll unmute. Thank you and good afternoon. Let me just make sure that you can hear me. We can. Fantastic. <clears throat> Excuse me, I thought I was going to go a whole meeting without uh, calling in. But uh, I'd like to say thank you to the uh, council members, um, committee members here in regards to bringing, uh, wanting to bring forward in a hastily, I'll change that word, in a quicker manner to city council in regards to um, opportunities to mitigate and or end the sideshows. Uh, I want to bring forward the council district meeting um, last week with council districts six, seven, and eight, Captain Monk and others that took place in one of the um, notions that were put on the table were to bring a resolution um, to the city attorney's office of what City of Sacramento could do. To that end, just so happened later that evening on a local news channel, the city of Manteca had passed a city ordinance in uh, enabling it to hold responsible for those who promote the sideshows with a term of up to six months in jail and I forgot the dollar amount uh, associated with it and the impounding of one's vehicle. So there are precedents already established uh, as um, um, Councilmember Kaplan has stated in California. And I just wanted to further that information and my support uh, for this um, opportunity to move it quickly. And as the uh, Councilmember Kaplan has stated as well, I included the uh, County DA's office, as well as our attorney's office and the council members that were uh, involved uh, in last week's meeting. So again, thank you for that. Thank you for your comments. Chair, I have no more speakers. Thank you. And thank you, Barry, for always watching. This meeting is adjourned.